Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to 2023, start of a new year, a new dawn. And I have to say, uh, and it's somewhat deliberate, we're delighted to have Paul Skinner on the show for the very first show of 2023. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm so excited to be on the show. I've been a, a fan of the show ever since the magic uh, power cut episode with Mark Ritson. I, uh, I remember Orit Gow, the concert pianist, uh, saying that a performance doesn't really begin until something goes wrong. And, and I think that in that moment with that episode, you must have made so many people real addicts of the show. Um, I'm a huge fan as well as what you're doing at the, the School of Marketing, making it so much easier to get young people into marketing, connecting them with people at different stages of their careers. Um, and it also must be so exciting for you, Mark, um, having become one of the top marketers in the country and now going to that, that switch to a, a portfolio career where you know, in many ways you'll be able to create perhaps an even bigger impact than when you were in role. So um, happy to acquiesce with the format of the show and be interviewed. But I know that the people who tune into this week after week uh, would like, if it hasn't happened already and I've missed it, an episode where somebody turns the, the tables on you. Uh, and so if you're ever open to that, count me in. Well, you, you, you never know. And Paul, you, you, you're very kind. And that's going to be a theme that comes through in this episode. I can't think of a better guest. You, you make me twitch a little bit with the Mark Ritson episode back in the day. Richie and I, you know, we had this power cut because the, uh, there was a power cut in Tasmania uh, and Mark Ritson uh, dropped. Um, but it was, it was sort of quite a, kept us honest, certainly, uh, at the outset. Um, and thank you. I mean, yes, it is a transition moment for me in my career, but um, it's about you today. And I, I cannot think of a better guest to start 2023 uh, in terms of uh, energy, being energizing, being kind, being ambitious. And, and Paul is one of the kindest people that I know. And, and let me explain a little bit. I met Paul, I think it was about eight years ago. And now Paul founded and runs Pimp My Cause which is the world's most positive network. It supports over 2,000 charities and social enterprises with access to pro bono marketing. I know many people who have given their time willingly uh, and gladly to help um, within Pimp My Cause. It also founded Marketing Kind, which is a membership community of, of marketing folks dedicated to better advancing humankind, supporting some of the most pioneering charities and social enterprises. So you'll, you'll see the theme here. Paul's also director of Agency of the Future for the last 12 years, which helps businesses with purpose-led initiatives. So purpose runs throughout. And that's a good segue into the fact that Paul's had two books published. I've been very happy and privileged to be at the launch of both of those books. Um, so he launched a couple of years ago a book called Collaborative Advantage, which was a, a twist and a significant one on competitive advantage. And then most recently last year, The Purpose Upgrade. And you can imagine what that's all about, and we will get into that. Um, so 
Paul is the epitome of a nice guy trying to do good in the world. He brings great enthusiasm. Um, I loved your interview with Seth Godin uh, um, for your own podcast. Uh, we've also had Seth on. You're a, a very accomplished podcaster. Uh, Paul's a smart guy. He was educated at Oxford University, but also very hardworking. That combination makes him a, a great guy that's going to be super interesting to hear from. No better way to kick off in 2023. So that's the, the full intro, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And um, I, I think after that intro, I'm definitely playing this to my mum. <laughs> well, I'm sure that you got many, many accomplishments beyond beyond just the intro um, to, to, to play back to her. I'm sure she's awfully proud. Did you get to spend much time with her over Christmas? Uh, we did. Yeah, um, it was a very special visit. Um, she's um, uh, about to turn 87 um, and she is affected by, by Alzheimer's. Um, but we're able to have a, a very special visit and maintain a, a surprising number of the, the usual routines with her as well. She, um, uh, she has tremendous energy for a near 87-year-old with a debilitating condition. Yeah, well, um, yeah, it is a time of family, but we're bouncing back into 2023. Um, so we're only we're only a few days in, but how's it how's it shaping up for you so far, Paul? So far, so good. Um, I have um, had COVID for the past few days, um, which has been a little bit of a knockout. But on the other hand, uh, I suppose part of the cycle of nature is that the new year begins with some moments of renewal, um, and so a little bit of uh, extra rest time for these first few days will hopefully uh, set me up for uh, an ambitious year ahead. Yeah, I love that. Love the thinking around the time for renewal. What What are some of the things that you'd like to have renewed in twenty twenty three? Whoa! So i I think I think we have to be um, ambitious for twenty twenty three and 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 beyond. Um, I remember. I think I think Tony Blair, um, when he was prime minister, said that the essential characteristic of the modern world was its interconnectedness. Um, and I think that that did speak to the mood of the time and the interconnectedness of opportunities where each opportunity was connected to the next opportunity. Um, I, uh, um, at the risk of you know, making it an abrupt start to the year, um, I can't help but wonder if the pendulum has swung a little and that the essential characteristic of today's world is its interdependence um, and that actually a lot of our risks and, and vulnerabilities um, uh, connect to each other. Um, we you know permacrisis was the word of the year for, for 2022 um, and realistically we do face so many serious problems that really can impact on us in 2023 um, and beyond. Um, and we are moving uh, backwards rather than forwards on far too many of those problems. Um, the, the good news, I suppose, is that there is no more powerful way to tackle a problem than by elevating the narratives through which we understand that problem, prepare for that problem, anticipate that problem, address that problem, or recover from that problem. You know, even in the case of a disaster or an emergency, the direct and unavoidable uh, effects of a disaster or an emergency or a crisis 
are usually less great overall than the cumulative effect of all of those narratives that drive how we uh, adapt to that situation. So there's certainly um, room for optimism. Uh, if only we could think of a, a profession that um, had specifically invested in developing the skill set of understanding and reworking um, important narratives. So. <laughs> Hopefully that's a, a challenge we can all set ourselves to be more part of the solution and, and less part of the problem. That, that's a very characteristic answer of yourself, Paul. You know, so deep thinking to big problems, circling around to the fact that we need to be positive and ambitious and that marketing plays a critical role. So I, I'm going to rewind all the way back and, and try and understand what made Paul Skinner who Paul Skinner is. So where, where do you think your ambition and positivity emanate from? Uh, well, I think, I think ambition and positivity are something that, that need to be renewed on a, on a, a daily uh, basis. So I, I think, how do we renew ourselves? Um, biologically, so I'm a big fan of getting a good night's sleep. Um, I think I learned when I was a student that um, the discipline um, this is doing finals at Oxford at any rate, um, that discipline isn't getting up early in the morning. Discipline is going to bed early at night. Um, and then getting up early in the morning is easy. Um, I have a, a long-standing practice of meditation every day, which is, is also helpful in terms of disconnecting from the, the narratives uh, in our heads for a period in order to be able to better refresh them um, from a, a better cognitive state to begin with. Um, so I think that's important. Um, and then, you know, maybe paying attention to the narratives in your own mind. I think that a lot of um, good marketing um, can ultimately be born from a high level of self-awareness, not claiming a high level of self-awareness. Um, but I think that if we are powerfully honest with ourselves, that can be a very good basis for um, better understanding um, others and better understanding what, what might work for others in terms of helping them step into something that is better for them as well. Wow. I mean, look, I think some, some real nuggets there and, and things that people could take away and, and do. And actually, I've been giving a lot of advice or given a lot of advice around the, the role of meditation. And, and maybe that's something that I would try and practice in, in, in the next year as well. So... Maybe you've uh, you, you've struck you struck a a bit of gold there in that sense, but I mean it's at the same time I think it's quite hard right as we enter twenty twenty three to be all guns blazing and and optimistic about how things are particularly when all you need to do is turn the TV channel on and all of a sudden you're back into the sort of media frenzy of of a bit of doom and gloom. So I suspect I mean uh, you know I wonder if there's any um, pearls of wisdom perhaps around being able to stay in the in that sort of zone of positivity or um, ways in which people can can be helped through this time, which is no doubt difficult on a much much more practical level. Yeah, it it, it is difficult, and um, certainly uh, one of the um, cases that I made in my first book, Collaborative Advantage, from a few years ago, was um, I took the example of some of the world's humanitarian um, difficulties and and wrote that actually crises can affect all of us. They're not something that is just far away and, and over there. And of course, 
um, that is not a point that I'd have to make now um, after we've been through the, the biggest global health emergency um, of our lifetimes, the biggest interruption to life and work as usual um, with the lockdown. Um, we now have serious um, conflict um, in Europe, uh, of course, um, and with the, the risk of um, even greater effects from, from conflict if China were to move on, on Taiwan, for example. Um, but maybe we can look into that to see sources of inspiration. Um, uh, something that President Zelensky said that has always stuck with me since he, he, he made the comment much earlier in the year, much closer to the, the start of the invasion. Um, he said, Ukraine didn't seek greatness, but Ukraine has become great. Um, and uh, there is certainly an awful lot of energy that can be unlocked by turning into our most difficult problems. You know, if you think of great leaders from history, you might think of Nelson Mandela emerging from 26 years in prison to become president of South Africa, Abraham Lincoln leading the United States uh, out of civil war. Um, a lot of religions are, are based in problem solving. And you think of the crucifix um, in Christianity, the ultimate um, symbol of redemption through suffering. Um, you might think of the the Om symbol in Hinduism, which represents a, a lead um, Hindu divinity, Ganesh, who is the remover of obstacles. Um, uh, and so I think turning into our most difficult problems can unleash a huge amount of energy. Um, I think we're also going to need to learn how to let go of some of the things that we've learned to do in the past, cherished in the past, but with hindsight, turn out to have been wrong. Um, and so I think we're going to have to let go of a lot of things. But if we think back to the early um, stages of lockdown, you know, so many people were able to decompress for a moment, um, have paradoxically, by virtue of only being allowed out in nature uh, for one once a day that probably actually made a lot of people bother to use their once a day who otherwise might have skipped that altogether um, and that actually sometimes letting go of prior models of success when it becomes clear they're no longer going to serve us and particularly when we can feel that we're all in the same boat can actually be a, a relief rather than a burden um, and we've never had more opportunity to redefine for ourselves what success might look like um, and what might be the, the, the best ways of, of achieving it. Yeah, profound as always, Paul. Now I'm going to um, jump to a moment, maybe it was about six months ago, I lose time, time a little, um, your, your book launch hmm. uh, in a, that lovely bookshop and one, one specific moment where before giving the speech that you gave, which was one of the most impressive speeches I've heard. Um, frankly, you look a little bit like you were shitting yourself. And we had a little conversation about imposter syndrome. Um, and I just wanted to sort of probe on the point that you knew you knew that speech brilliantly. You knew it was a brilliant speech and you knew that you would deliver it brilliantly. And yet you had a look of dread on your face prior to it. So we're talking about imposter syndrome and, and maybe it's a necessity, a necessity to, to achieve and excel. But talk, talk us through what goes through your mind when you're anticipating something where you're you know, on show like that. 
so I, I remember that moment fairly well. Um, you are definitely right. Um, and I think what was impinging on me is I did have a sense of, you know, what I wanted to contribute through through that um through through that talk um as you might expect since it was my own book launch um but th thank you so much for your kind comments on on how it went um uh caroline taylor who introduced me um so thoughtfully and managed the room so effectively um was also a, a key part of making that possible so thanks to her um but you're right i um just before doing it i had to run away effectively from from the group and climb the the balcony and go to the back of the room um and it was um simply that uh, i think often people think that giving a, a talk is a moment of extroversion um and in some sense it is in that you have to connect with the people who are there you have to look people in the eyes you have to respond to the gestures and you so appreciate it when somebody smiles and nods along and reveals that they're 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 following what you're you're saying um but of course i i think we're still affected by um the social dynamics of of lockdown and so arriving i, I had a sense of what i wanted to give um but actually and I say people think that those are moments of extroversion. It requires a certain amount of introversion to, to develop a, a particular train of thought. And so it is a particular mode of, of energy. Um, and it was just so exciting meeting everyone. I mean, everyone was turning up. So every two or three seconds, I was um, meeting a, an, another friend, another person I admire. Um, and so just all of those different narratives. And I, I think I remember at the time feeling that it was like eating a, a whole bag of jelly babies at once. And so just the almighty sugar rush of all of those different narratives and the noise from that, um, I think, took away from the introspective energy required to deliver a, a, a particular train of thought. So I needed to run away for about 30 seconds at least just to compose myself um, to get on with that. That talk is available. Um, it's on YouTube if people Google Paul Skinner Purpose Upgrade Book Launch. Um, oh. So you can at least see the moment after the, the cracking okay. of the pants. But, but how wonderful, how wonderful as a, as a reframe um, around presentation skills, introversion, extroversion, um, and and really challenging the dominant logic, which quite frankly I suspect flows right through your veins um, in that sense. And 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 further to that, you know, you in your last in your last response, you talked about the role of perhaps in this coming year or in the in the short term past, our ability to redefine what success looks like. And I wonder if to some extent you've been able to have some thinking time around what success means for you and perhaps what does the redefinition of success in a more macro level mean as well? Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, I, I never achieve the right answer. And so it's always um, adapting over time. Um, you, you put me in mind of a little anecdote um, from the, the purpose upgrade, actually. Um, so uh, obviously it's full of cutting edge case studies. Um, this particular one comes from the Prussian War of Liberation against Napoleon. Um, so uh, the um, royal family asked the Prussian aristocrats to send in their gold and silver jewellery 
to fund an uprising against Napoleon. But their masterstroke was to replace those items of jewellery with items made of iron um, and with patriotic inscriptions in them. And so all of a sudden, um, it became a very weak social signal to parade your gold or silver jewellery in in public. But wearing the iron replica jewellery became a a real um, symbol of national solidarity, that you were doing the right thing. Um, And ultimately, I think we as marketers know that for all sorts of evolutionary reasons, we feel at our best when we are able to engage well with the people around us, um, when we're able to create impressions on people, more profoundly share experiences with people. Um, and so I think fundamentally, um, if we're going to solve the problems that our increasingly crisis-prone world has for us, we need to get better at creating stories of success that align with alleviating those problems rather than making them worse. I remember Mike Berners-Lee saying to me in, in one of our Marketing Kind events, you know, throughout most of human history, there is nothing we could have done to destroy the planet that we live on. Uh, with the invention of nuclear weapons, um, there was something we could do to devastate large portions of it if we were really stupid. Um, Now we're in a position where just continuing with life and work as usual um, is devastating our shared home. You know, according to a study in The Lancet, one in 10 deaths globally is already um, uh, attributable to the climate emergency. Um, We're creating huge um, discrepancies um, of opportunity and wealth. There are more Uh, people living in extreme poverty in Africa today than there was in 1980. Um, uh, The number of people um, displaced by disasters and emergencies is rising every single year. Um, And so we need to find visions of success, stories of success. We need to define what good living, what good working looks like in ways that is actually solving these problems. Um, We haven't intentionally caused these problems. In in the purpose upgrade, I describe it as, you know, that we, we now have to solve together on purpose many of the problems that we've allowed to arise by accident. Um, But certainly we are aware of those problems, so it is our responsibility to tackle them. So, so let's go one layer deeper, Paul. In the book, Purpose Upgrade, thoroughly recommend it. Um, what are some of the things that individuals and companies should be doing? What, what, what new do you, have you brought to the conversation around the actions that we should take? Yeah, so um, the full title of the book is The Purpose Upgrade, Change Your Business to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your Business. Um, and so I guess the, the first key proposition um, is to turn upside down the the logic of uh, Adam Smith. You know, in in the wealth since Adam Smith wrote the Wealth of Nations. I mean, it's a little bit unfair if you take his work as a whole, but um, since he wrote the Wealth of Nations, in classical economic thinking, if you seek to undertake, uh, if you seek self directed benefit first, 
we're meant to end up with a collective good as the happy byproduct. Um, but I think somebody, I remember somebody recently quipping that, you know, maybe Adam Smith's invisible hand is invisible because it's not really there. Um, and I think that we know that, you know, if if capitalism were an algorithm, it is an, an algorithm that is creating, it, it, that has a serious glitch and is creating a lot of um, problems. Um, the good news um, is that reason and evidence suggest that if we turn that upside down um, and seek to create or enable positive change for our stakeholders first, then we can derive our own self-directed reward as our share of what I call the far greater overall, not, not wealth of nations, but wealth of change, that making our businesses a channel for something greater than themselves can unlock. Um, and I guess one of the um, particular things that I hopefully bring to the conversation on purpose that maybe separates it from some of what we've um, been told about purpose previously is that I believe that purpose is fundamentally not about static endpoints, but is a renewable resource. You know, I believe that is, first of all, I, I, I look at how purpose, how we form and reform purpose as humans. And I believe that purpose is our most adaptive capacity as a species. Um, it's our ability to tell ourselves stories of purpose that help us transcend our immediate circumstances that ultimately mean that unlike other species, we haven't just evolved, but have been able to develop from generation to generation. Um, I believe that it can be our most powerful and most renewable resource um, in enterprise, um, and that challenges some of the conventional notions of purpose, for example, as our North Star, as if purpose was a fixed endpoint that you can predetermine that, that no longer needs to evolve once you've um, selected it. And I believe that a purpose upgrade, as I presented in the book, can be an always available event. You know, not, science cannot tell us what the meaning of life is, at least it certainly can't yet. You know, there aren't absolutes available to us through through narrative and that means that any story of purpose we tell ourselves is susceptible to, to upgrade um, and that's one of the things that often you know we're just not encouraged to do in meetings is to challenge the very purpose of what we're doing in the first place and yet that is where we can uh, often uh, the source of the the greatest potential for for change and so hopefully that's something that I bring to the conversation on on purpose. Wow, so many again, I mean, it just, like I said before, the thought around your ability to help reframe the dominant logic absolutely shines through in this in this area as well. Paul. It feels it feels very much like, you know, you, you're, you're certainly a massive deep thinker and very learned on a range of different topics. So it feels like almost you're in, you're in your sort of safe space as an author and as a as someone who, who helps us to seek out the truth. And I just wonder, that couldn't have been easy as a place to find yourself or to achieve, to get yourself into that position. And I wonder if you could talk to how you were able to navigate your way into a role like you have today. Um, so to, to, to a degree by accident, of course. I mean, I, I think in some ways it's, it's maybe not an accident that I've ended up writing books. I, I remember a career advisor at school 
um, suggesting that um, we might take a trip to a local bookshop, see which section in the bookshop we were naturally drawn towards, um, and then maybe use that to get some insight into what kind of um, career we might be suited to. Um, and certainly in my case, the, the the challenge with that was that the whole bookshop was the draw, not just a, an individual um, book inside it. Um, I studied um, French and Spanish literature at, at university, um, and I think ever since then and perhaps before then, I've certainly had a fascination with the, the narratives that shape who we become. I mean, interestingly, um, uh, behavioural, if I were to ask you, would you rather have a good life or a good life story? Um, most people would say they'd rather have a good life, but behavioural science reveals that most people in practice would actually choose the good life story option. Um, and I think the the reason for that is that um, our stories are powerful coping mechanisms that we use to better engage with each other, to better address our problems, um, and so on. So a, a good story, a good life story, a good sense of our life story is an important part of how we achieve a good life as an outcome. Um, and so it is important to be drawn to that. Um, I think most leaders take their most important decisions through um, narratives rather than spreadsheets, even if they're fully aware of all the data involved. Um, Robert J. Schiller, the US economist, has shown that decade after decade, um, it is the, the stories that we tell ourselves across society rather than anything else, which is the biggest driver of economic events. Um, so there is nothing more powerful than that. In terms of getting into writing, um, I would say I very much count myself as a reader first and a writer second. I mean, I've written two books, um, but I've read a lot more than two books. And so fundamentally, um, I only end up writing a book really if, if, if there is a book that I would really like to read that hasn't been written yet. Um, uh, I've um, Maybe I, I feel I'm not quite addressing the spirit of your question, which is more practically, how did I end up writing these two um, books? Um, and I guess um, there was one point in my career when I'd done marketing in a, a corporate context and global brand development for L'Oreal. I'd headed up marketing and business development for a range of um, venture-backed, um, fast-growth new businesses. Um, and then I studied um, entrepreneurship on a course at Harvard Business School. And I angled for a one-to-one with the, the program lead, who was one of their most senior academics in, in the whole university, not just the business school. And I was kind of uh, hoping that if I mentioned an interest in an MBA, you know, maybe I would get some encouragement. Um, and she completely took me aback um, in saying that she thought I would get bored with an MBA, but that I should consider, you know, there were very good opportunities for joining faculty. And so that, that, that took me aback a lot. And it was a huge confidence um, boost. I did not end up pursuing that because there were a number of quite serious um, family illnesses and I'd worked a lot abroad already and it did not feel like I would have been available to to throw myself into something as intense as that um, the other side of the world. Um, but um, it, it maybe inspired me for a model of working through which I do advisory work um, with um, leaders from all sorts of different sectors 
um, uh, which also, of course, <laughs> um, uh, particularly the the the, the um, uh, faculty there do have time to do. Um, I have ended up writing books on some quite big topics. Whether I've done justice to those topics is another matter, but I've taken on really big ideas and challenged some of the the biggest conventional thinking out there um, and use that as my pushing off point. Um, and then, of course, I run my nonprofit activities, which is not not the same as, as teaching, but actually is um, spending a lot of time involving people in using marketing to solve important social and environmental problems, which is you know perhaps my equivalent. So I've sought to replicate um, some of um, the dimensions of a, a career such as that, um, albeit um, without the, the resource, credibility, connections and opportunities that comes from having a, an engine like that behind you. Fascinating, Paul. I, I, I don't think I can think of a better compliment than you'd get bored with an MBA um, because <laughs> they're pretty tough things to do. But, but more than anything, I love that construct of do you want a good life or do you want a good life story? Um, of course, this show tries to bring to life the fact that it's the undulations and some of the setbacks which define your success and people are successful because of those rather than despite those. So you've already talked to one gulp moment for you, which was offered the opportunity to join a faculty but had family issues that meant you couldn't do that. Are there any other moments or segments of your life where you think you've formed a big part of your life story? Um, formed an important part of my life story. Um, so I think I, I th so I'm still hoping I'm a late developer. Um, I think the years ahead are going to be really challenging. And if I don't make a, a bigger contribution in the years ahead than, than the years past, I'd be um, very, very disappointed with myself. So I think that um, we're having to reimagine and reconfigure our life stories on an ongoing um, basis. I think that frequently, you know, it, we, we don't just have to rethink the nature of the work that we can do in the world. We have to rethink our understanding of the world that we're doing that um, work in. Um, in, in the first place. Um, you put me in mind also of um, uh, an early um, mentor who also, a, a bit like the, the Harvard opportunity, shaped my sense of, 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 a, of a career path. And that, that's John Grant, um, who um, you both likely know and who is also a founding member of Marketing Kind. Um, I remember in my early corporate days reading one of his earlier books called After Image, um, and thinking to myself, you know, if the people around me were as uh, clever and thoughtful as this guy, I probably wouldn't be thinking about moving on. Um, and then a few years later, when I was involved in you know, one of the, the fast growth uh, ventures that I was involved with, um, among other things, ran a, a global um, sustainable food program. And uh, he uh, had just come out with his book, The Green Marketing Manifesto. And so I was able to, to hire him to come and um, work with us. I think it was one or, one or two days a week um, in supporting that initiative for a period of time. And I got to, to look quite literally over his shoulder as his thinking unfolded. Some of the work we did together made it into his books. Um, and uh, I think that he... Um, 
wittingly and unwittingly became a very strong role model for me and perhaps was the archetype of what it means to to work independently and to and to write books on on some of these kinds of topics and so it was a, a very powerful influence fantastic well that, thank you for that paul and um i suspect we're running a little bit short on time now so will be the last question you clearly suggested that you'd be very disappointed with yourself if you didn't achieve more in the latter part of your life than you have done so to this point i find that you know both inspiring and daunting as a challenge for what you've already achieved and accomplished so far but tell us a little bit more about what you'd want the next few innings to look like and perhaps what then would you feel proud of if at the end of when you came to retire if that's even a word for you what would that be that you'd be felt with that you'd be happy with yeah. Um, so I remember one of my favorite French um, writers, André Gide, um, described the concept of being disponibilité à l'accueil, which is having a, a, a mental disposition to welcome what's coming towards you. Um, and so I think that my sense of um, the kind of changes I'd like to unlock in the future um, is not necessarily that I have a, a, a picture that I can predetermine. It's more about bringing the best of myself to the um, unfolding emergent, uh, emergence in front of us. Um, and when I talked about being a, a, a late developer, I often think that um, you don't necessarily know the value of what you've done in the past until the future comes along and reveals it to you. Now, I remember there was a fantastic line in a in a history of Russia um, that in Russia the past can be an unpredictable place, <laughs> and I think that's actually true in many important ways for all of us. So I'll give one e example of um, something I'm tr hopefully would like to achieve in the future. Um, obviously, my my consulting work I've worked with business leaders. Um, with leaders from charities and social enterprises and I happen to have done a lot of work with leaders in disasters and emergencies. Now at the time it might feel that that lacks focus and is disparate um, but in our more crisis prone world for example I think we can see more and more connections between those sectors. So one thing that I'm seeking to start at the moment is to uh, look at ways in which we can learn from the field of disasters and emergencies and transplant that into other sectors so that we can really globally um, uh, match some of the, the difficulties that that, that um, throws up at us. Um, and just one dimension of that, of course, is our, our psychosocial dynamics. You know, I think all organisations um, need to think through, are we... Um, psychosocially equipped and cognitively equipped as, as well to deal with the uncertainties, precariousness, setbacks, complexities, the things that bear down on us before the working day even begins with you know public services being challenged and will likely to continue to be challenged like never before with all of the knock-on effects that that can create. And so one sort of um, micro example of this is I'm working um, currently with um, a world-leading uh, humanitarian organization that has um, sought to understand the psychological dynamics of crisis situations since the shell shock of World War I um, and trying to take some of their understanding 
um, to partner that with a, a, some, a charity, so the second sector um, that has worked for 60 years in enabling people to be safe and well in the, in the workplace, uh, and then enrolling um, businesses in exploring with those two organisations how they can um, induce uh, a set of psychosocial dynamics, uh, a, a workplace that is better adapted um, to being able to function and being able to to thrive um, when we're all facing a, a level of jeopardy um, that um, for that we haven't necessarily previously experienced. Well, Paul, um, a profound and important place to end. Uh, and I loved the line that we need to welcome what's coming towards us as we go into 2023. What a <laughs> serendipitous place, or maybe you planned it. But anyway, what a lovely place to end uh, this this session. Um, thank you. I'm going to do a quick recap to summarize some of the key learnings for everybody that's that's listening in. Um, so here goes. There's a lot. We, we packed it in. So um, you highlighted that many of today's problems are very interdependent and complex uh, and and but the crises that exist in front of us, marketing does have a role to play and we should all embrace that and we should be positive and ambitious. Um, you talked about disciplines going to bed early. Yeah, I probably need to listen to that a little actually in 2023. Um, you, you practice daily medita meditation. I love the thought that we need to disconnect from the narratives in our head. I don't know about you, but my head's always swimming with a million thoughts. Um, so that's a, that's a good point for sure. Uh, we need to be powerfully honest with ourselves. Hmm, yes. Food for thought on that. Um, I loved when you talk about the balance of extroversion and introversion in terms of delivering in a public space, delivering content in a public space. Um, it's a really good point and, and a great technique, um, particularly if you've done the equivalent of eating a whole bag of jelly babies. Very good. Um, there was a stat which really leapt out at me that we're, and the words you use, one in 10 deaths are due to the climate emergency already. We are devastating our shared home. There's perhaps no bigger thought than that that's come out this morning. Um, your book, Purpose Upgrade, Change Your Business to, uh, to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your Business, um, says it all really. And, and I think pur purpose is becoming a more dominant conversation and we will do so through 2023. We can all but hope. Um, capitalism has an algorithmic glitch. What an elegant way of saying <laughs> that inequality is getting worse in the world. A great symbol, actually, of your language and logic, Paul, um, which has shone through. Um, purpose allows us to transcend our current circumstances, of course, so true and, and characterizes our species. Um, and then I love the, the point. I've already said it once, but, you know, do you want a good life or do you want a good life story? Life is not a bed of roses. It's not straight. It's very squiggly, but richer for it. Um, and you see yourself making an even bigger contribution over time. I look forward to that. I'm excited to know what the third book might be in time. Um, but let's let's start with that point, that um, your encouragement of all of us to welcome what's coming towards us in 2023. Thank you, Paul. It's been a powerhouse of big thinking and big provocation and, and lots of gems to take away. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.